Well, here we go. Good morning. Uh, listen, before we jump in, I, I feel the need to pray. So would you bow your heads and just pray with me real quick? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this church, and I thank you for your spirit. Um, God, I do pray that as we are talking about marriage today, um, God, that you just really speak through your word. Uh, in this room today, there are some marriages that are thriving. Um, God, I thank you for that. God, in this room today, there are some marriages that um, are, might be struggling, God, and I pray that through your word today that you would just do something really special. Uh, God, I pray for the ones in the room that are single and ready to mingle, and God, I pray that, um, God, that today's text will really just help uh, bring clarity into how they need to pick someone they date. Um, and who they should be dating, who shouldn't they be dating. And God, for those in the room that are just single and maybe asking themselves, do I really need a sermon like this? God, I just pray that you encourage their hearts that, man, we need the full body of God. And that whether you are single or you are married, God, we all need each other. And knowing how we should all function is so important. So Jesus, please give that to us today. And in your holy name, amen. Well, today we are starting a brand new series titled Madhouse, Life Isn't Always Home Sweet Home. And today we are talking on the topic of marriage, and I'm sure the phrase, life isn't always home sweet home, isn't a shock to you. Um, I grew up loving sitcoms. Uh, I'm not sure about you, like when other kids were watching like Nickelodeon, like I was watching Nick at Night. That was just the weirdo I was. And I love them all and I still love them today. And some of my favorites were Home Improvement, right? Leave it to Beaver, Everyone Loves Raymond, Meet the Jeffersons, right? Like these were my favorites. And the thing about these sitcoms um, is some, most episodes had some kind of family drama, right? Like it was some, you know, there was a kid thing or there was a weird neighbor thing or there was some kind of drama in the episode. But in the end, we always knew that there would be a happily ever after, there would be a hug, there would be a crescendo of music and everything just decided to work out. But like many of you, with those who grew up with shows like this, we grew up. And the things that we learned in these family sitcoms and Disney movies quickly fell apart. And what we realize is the perfect family didn't always seem so perfect. And for those of you that are married or have experienced marriages, you realize this. We're hit with broken expectations. Right? Marriages are hit with broken expectations. We enter into marriages with what we think is going to happen, and then it all seems to fall apart. The reality is a lot of us have experienced abuse in marriage, whether that be sexually, emotionally, or physically. And what we thought marriage was supposed to be, we quickly realized, man, this is not the way I thought. We struggle with money problems. We struggle with health problems. We struggle with poor communication. We, we don't know how to uh, handle disagreements with our kids. And the list goes on and on and on. So here's what I'm going to challenge us today. As we think about marriages and we think of our culture and we think about not even our culture, but what's happening inside of the church with marriages, I think we need a time out. I think we need a time out to ask the question, is this what God intended? 
right, is what God intended for marriage is a list of broken expectations and problems and struggles and poor communication and mistrust and the list goes on. Is this what God intended? When God said he wanted two people to come together in a holy vow, in a covenant under God, and to say through death do us part, is that what God wanted? Because again, for many of us, we walked into marriage with this idea of the perfect family, right? Perfect family, right? The, the mom and dad and the 2.5 kids and the fluffy dog and the white picket fence. But, but the reality is many of us experience something more like this. Whether us ourselves or maybe our parents or our grandparents or our aunt and uncle, and again, what we thought marriage was supposed to be quickly fell apart. And the picture isn't what we wanted. Because most of us walk into marriage with a picture, and, and sometimes that picture of what we have and what we see is a, a picture of family dysfunction. We have a history in our family. Well, my grandparents struggled with problems and divorce, and then my my parents struggled with problems and divorce, and and that's just the picture I have, and so I'm going to enter into marriage of this is what the picture is supposed to look like. Some of us walk into a picture with abuse. Well, all I know is abuse. All I know is physical, sexual, emotional abuse, and, and this is just what's in my mind, and so these are the behaviors, and these are the pictures that I'm walking in with today. Some of us, it's just whatever pop culture decides to tell us, right? We're looking at what Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, like what's their relationship status? And maybe this is the benchmark of what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like. Well, here's what I want to challenge you with is if you're struggling with a madhouse in your life, if you're struggling with a madhouse in your marriage, maybe it's time for a new picture. Maybe it's time for you and I to look at the picture that we might have and say, we need to shake that picture clean and start fresh. Now, before we go any further, I feel the need to give you some disclaimers. Uh, I am 33 years old. I have been married for 10 years. I have known my amazing wife, Heather, for 19 years. We've been doing this thing together. Now that's amazing and I truly believe I can stand before God and say, we have an amazing marriage. But the reality is uh, we've only been married 10 years. There, there are, might be some people in this room that are saying, listen, I've been married 20, 30, 40 years. Like, what do you have to teach me on the topic of marriage? We also haven't been through all of life circumstances and navigated all these things. And so you might be saying, again, what do you have to say? And here's what I wanna challenge you with. My goal today is not to preach to you out of my experiences. My goal today is to preach, with, preach to you out of scripture and what God has to say. The second thing is, I know that some of you in the room are either in the process or have experienced a divorce. And you might be sitting there today saying, man, there is so much pain in my heart and life, and I don't even know if I want to be in this room today because, or watching online because this is a painful topic for me. 
What I need you to hear is I am going to empathize with you the best I can, and you are not alone. You are seen. You are valued. And my hope through the text today is not to really dive into what the past brought for you, but today we are going to chart a new path forward of what hope in Jesus can look like. The next thing is is that this is not going to be a self-help seminar on marriage. I'm not going to give you the 10 things you can do in order to experience a better marriage. If you want that, you can Google it. If you go on Google right now and Google, hey, what are 10 things you can do? Uh, uh, Better communication, conflict resolution, financial management, active listening, you know, and, and for a lot of you, if you did some of those things, you probably have a better marriage, but you don't need Jesus for that. You don't know Jesus for that. And, and so today, for us in the room who are followers of Jesus, we need to start asking a different question. And here's the question that we need to start asking. Should my faith in Jesus change the way I view and act in my marriage? Should my faith in Jesus change the way I view and act in my marriage? And so today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, And the Apostle Paul in this passage is going to give you and I a blueprint for what Christ-centered marriage is supposed to look like. And here is the key. Here is the key for those of us that are followers of Jesus who have marriages and we want them to be purposed around Jesus. That you and I, for those that are married or those in the room who want to become married and looking for that spouse that you and I need to position our lives around Jesus first. And then, and only then, do we start centering our lives around each other. So again, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22, and it starts off like this. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. Oh boy. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We're all going to breathe it out for a moment, right? But joking aside, the reality is, Even reading that, there are some of us in the room that are, you know, we start getting a twitch and (laughs) our back starts going up and there's good reason for it. We have a history of abuse of men in our world and life, don't we? We have men who have taken these passages and confused this idea of headship versus dominance. And we have a men who have abused women. So, so reading that off its cuff, we bring a lot of emotion into that. But here's what I want to say. The whole Christian life, the whole Christian life, whether you're a man or you're a woman, is about submission. The whole Christian life. In fact, if you go back one verse in verse 21, it says this, be subject or submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. In this passage, we're seeing Paul begin to make a new picture, a new picture of what marriage is supposed to look like. That as a husband submits himself to Christ, 
a wife must submit herself to her husband. And where we get into trouble is when we take that God-given idea and we start inserting sin into the picture. So biblically, what does submission mean? I think that's a good starting point. So biblically, what does submission mean? Submission is a willful act to place yourself under another. Not out of dominance, but out of trust and respect. Biblical submission is an invitation in your life for someone else to lead. So as we dive into this, I think there's a few things we need to understand. The first thing is this, submission isn't inclusive, it's exclusive. Here's what that means. Verse 22, it says, wives submit to your own husbands. Hear this. This does not say women submit to men. It does not say wives submit to other people's husbands. If I ever ask Jessica to submit to me, John has the right to come give me a right hook. It also does not say girlfriends submit to boyfriends. Hear this. If you're in a dating relationship right now, girlfriends, you do not, you do not submit to your boyfriend. This is exclusive for a husband and wife relationship. This has nothing to do with a woman's giftedness. This has nothing to do with a woman's leadership capacity. Some of the best leaders and dynamic leaders I have ever known have been women. This is uniquely about a husband and wife relationship. The next thing is this, submission isn't unlimited, it's specific. What does that mean? Wives, your ultimate authority and submission is to Jesus. Your ultimate authority and submission is to Jesus first. You never have to submit to your husband's sin. I'll give you an example. I was in a conversation with a husband and wife and the wife had said to me, um, and again, we're, we're adults in the room and we need to have adult conversations. She said to me, um, my husband thought it would be a good idea to introduce pornography into our marriage in order to spice things up. Wives, you do not need to submit to your husband's sin. If your husband is trying to bring sin into your marriage, that is where you say, my ultimate authority is to Jesus. And I'm gonna pray for you and you need to repent of your sin. Wives, your ultimate authority is to Jesus and you do not have to submit to your husband's sin. The next thing is this, um, submission isn't about value, it's about position. I believe this is incredibly important for us to understand and again, this has nothing to do with a woman's value, her giftedness, or her equality inside of her marriage. Husbands and wives are equal, but they have different roles inside of their marriages. Our marriages are a picture of the gospel. Our marriages are a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his church. And as husbands and wives, we stand equally before God, but how those roles get lived out in our marriage is different. Now, I didn't want to just be a guy up on the stage talking about submission for women. So what I thought would be really special is I sat down this week with my amazing wife, Heather, and I wanted to get her perspective on how submission looks like 
inside of our marriage and kind of some practical application. So let's check out this video. All right, Heather, we are in the middle of my sermon right now, and we're talking on the topic of submission. And what I thought would be appropriate is to hear your perspective when we talk about this, because sometimes I think we can just hear the perspective of this is what the man says submission should be. But I wanted to get your perspective as a wife Mm -hmm. of uniquely, what does submission look like and mean to you in our marriage? So in our marriage, submission to me is love and respect. Um, I grew up where submission, the word just kind of has a negative connotation because I grew up with examples of marriages where they weren't good men. So, you know, my, my jaw clenches, my body tenses, my back goes up. And in our marriage, you are not that kind of man. Um, so for me, submitting to you is out of love and respect and obedience to Christ. And I want to serve you because I love you so much and you love me back. And that makes it easier to submit. Okay, so now that sounded really nice. I love it. Thank you. Um, But the reality is there have been moments, we've been married 10 years Mm -hmm. now, um, where there are decisions that happen that I'm sure you have said to yourself, uh, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. And so what happens when, when you, how do you mix this topic of submission with maybe disagreement? Mm-hmm. You know, cause there's people watching of like, yeah, yeah, I'm all cool with submission, but what happens when the rubber hits the road? So what does that mean for you? So it's easier for me to submit on the bigger things like finances, bigger decisions like that, because I know who you are and you are a thinker. You are a researcher. You are very wise. So I trust your wisdom in those types of things. It is harder for me to submit on the little things because I'm very stubborn, but also, you know, happy wife, happy life is not really a thing. So on the little things, that's where communication is key. And there are some days, most days, where you are right. And I do need to see that and understand where you're coming from. But there are moments where you're seeing, you know, a very small picture and I need you to see the big picture. And I know in some situations, your personality where, okay, you're right, but I need to push you a little bit more because I need you to get where I am. And we both need to see each other's point of view and see what each other is seeing. And this is where uh, that that word mutual submission mm-hmm. is so important because sometimes you're right. I am locked in and focused on something very small mm-hmm. and you need to help me see the big picture, mm-hmm. which means I need to be humble enough and kind of squash my ego to say, wow, Heather is right. And I need to, in this moment, submit to her mm-hmm. and your perspective. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes vice versa of, you know, I need to, with grace, mm-hmm. say, man, you're not seeing the picture. You're not seeing this decision. Mm-hmm. And I need to spend more time with you to help maybe unpack that decision to help make sure we're both on the same page. Mm-hmm. And it's so um, it's so much easier to do those things when you really know each other. Mm-hmm. And like, I know your strengths. I know your weaknesses. You know my strengths. You know my weaknesses. And the gifts that God has given and blessed us with that helps make those decisions easier easier. And it's not just Heather's opinion versus Graham's opinion, because sometimes both of our opinions are wrong and we need to go to wiser people or we Mm. need to go to scripture to say, you know, what is, what are other resources saying? Mm -hmm. Where are we both wrong Mm -hmm. and figure out what that outcome is. And I love that because what that's saying is that we both need to be humble enough Mm -hmm. One to God first, right, right, and then humble enough, humble enough to each other in order to make that work. If humility is not part of the equation, or you're just being mm-hmm. humble, 
that that means I'm going to steamroll you. Right. If I'm not being humble, then that submission thing doesn't really work either. Mm-hmm. We both have to be humble before God. Right. And then humble before each other. Right. When the Bible's like, wives, submit to your husbands. Yeah, I'll submit. I'll submit a complaint. Would you give Heather uh, just a... I love her to pieces. But as we kind of close up this idea of wives and submission, I think Heather shared so many just impactful things in there. And here's, I think, the the takeaway, is that in order for wives to be able to, to do this, and in order for wives to be a part of the big picture, the new picture of what Paul is teaching us about marriage, is that a wife first has to submit herself to Christ. A wife first has to submit herself to Christ and out of an overflow that, through trust and respect and oneness, she's able to say, man, in this relationship, I'm able to submit to my spouse. And what's so key here and where we get this mixed up is when when someone submits to something else first. And what this looks like is, Wives in the room or future wives in the room, your number one submission is to Jesus first, but sometimes we say, I'm gonna to submit to my husband first and Jesus second. Or, 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 or and, and I might step on some toes here, I might submit and, and put my kids on the top shelf, my husband on the second shelf, and Jesus on the third shelf. And what Paul is teaching here, no, there is a proper order that for a wife and for a husband, our number one job is to first submit to Jesus and then everything else falls into place. Well, now we're going to jump into the husbands. (laughs) You better look out. This is where it gets really. So we're going to be in verse 25 and it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is huge. And what I also think is funny as we dive into this is wives needed three verses and men needed seven, okay? (laughs) God knew us men needed some extra help. But in the previous verses, again, we saw Paul building a picture and we saw the women's perspective or the wife's perspective. And now we're seeing the husband's and he's bringing up this idea of headship. And as we begin to unpack this, I think it's important to understand what that word headship looks like. If you dive into the original language, the imagery that is given is that of a source of a river the beginning point of a river, the head of a river. And so what this means is for those that are husbands in the room or those who desire to be future husbands in the room, your role in your marriage is to set the direction and the vision for your marriage. 
Your role is to set the direction and the vision for your marriage. That as husbands, that as fathers in the room, your role is to navigate the compass, to take the compass of your life and set it on Jesus. And that as you navigate decisions, and that as you navigate decisions with your spouse, it's not about you making all the decisions. It's about not you. Oh, I have ultimate authority and I have dominance in my household. No, no, no. That you do together. Your role as a husband is to set the center point saying, hey, this house, this marriage, my kids, we're going towards Jesus. That is the role of a husband. So here's what Paul starts breaking down of what headship looks like. The first one is this. Headship is about sacrifice, not dominance. Headship is about sacrifice, not dominance. Verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When we start diving into this and you look at like the translation of words, Paul's not using the word love here as like the touchy-feely kind. He's not talking about the snuggles and the hugs and the kisses. And some men, you need to be doing that with your wives. But what Paul is talking about here is this idea of sacrificial love. That the day you say, I do, that the day we say, I do to our spouse, it begins a journey of us laying down our wants, laying down our desires, laying down our selfishness, laying down it's all about me, laying down of this is the way I want it to be before Jesus and our spouse and saying, no, you come first. This past year, I had to navigate something similar like this in, in Heather and I's marriage. Um, it was a really tough year for us. There was a lot of health things and just a lot of crazy stuff. And in the middle of that, Heather lost her job. And we went through a long season of her trying to find the right work. And then she ended up finding a great job. And, and then towards September, what happened was she had another opportunity. And she had an opportunity to get a second job that was going to be fulfilling for, to her and, and feed her passions and, and some of the things that she was so gifted at. But in her taking that second job, it was going to have ramifications on our home. And it was only for a season. And I, I, what ended up happening was she was going to have to work sometimes to 9, 10, 11, sometimes midnight, Monday through Friday. And I would like to tell you that as a husband and as a pastor and as one teaching on what it means to be sacrificial, I would love to tell you that all the time, man, I was joyful. Because our house changed. And for a season, I had to, you know, they always talk about, well, marriage is 50-50. No, it's not. There are moments in marriages when it's 70-30. There are moments in marriages when it's 70-30 to the wife and 70-30 to the husband. And so for a season, I had to do some things I wasn't normally, willing, you know, normally doing. And, and I had to humble myself and say, man, it says I need to sacrifice for Heather. And so there were moments I had to step in and watch Heather thrive in a job season. And she's still currently in that. And I had to sacrifice. That is what it means. 
that sometimes, in fact, most times, we need to put our wives first in what's happening inside of our home. Headship is not some warped idea that you are superior to your wife. No, it is out of sacrificial love that we are called to focus our lives on Jesus and then out of an overflow, we love. The next thing I want to point out is this. Headship is about direction. It's not about superiority. Headship is about direction. It's not about superiority. We talked about this. Again, the role of a husband is to set the direction and vision for his wife. And and this is what sometimes mutual submission comes in. We talked about that word. That when it comes to making decisions, it sometimes means I need to look at my strengths and my weaknesses and say, man, Heather is strong in that area. And in this moment, I need to submit myself to her knowing she's going to lead better in this area because that's what good leadership is called. I've seen this play out in my own life um, with my parents. My dad has had a disability since he was 18 years old. And uh, because of that, there have been seasons in my parents' marriage where um, my mom, just because of circumstances, has needed to step up and play roles that the traditional roles didn't look like. But here's what I loved and I thought was so special, that even in moments when my mom had to step up in those roles, there were still moments where my dad, even when he had to take a back seat sometimes, my dad was still living in his role of setting the direction and vision for our family. That even from the back seat, my dad still took on the priority of saying, hey, how we're raising our kids, how we're raising Graham, how I'm living in my marriage, how we're, how we're making decisions. I'm still focused on making sure we're making decisions that are based on Jesus. So this doesn't have to deal with some weird patriarchy of who's doing what or who's bringing the money or who's not bringing the money. This is not what this is about. For a husband, it's your role to set the center point on Jesus. The next thing is this, and this is so important. This really convicted me. Headship is about oneness, not selfishness. Headship is about oneness, not selfishness. Verse 33 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, and the two shall become one. What this is teaching us husbands or future husbands in the room is that our wives become one with us. And this is where I feel like men struggle a lot. Have you ever heard a man say, well, that's my wife's problem. Or, or, or that's my wife's emotions. It, th- th- those aren't m- my problem. No, no. What this is teaching here is that the day we say I do, we become one with our spouse. So what that means for us husbands in the room is that when our wives come to us and say they're lonely, that's not her problem, that's our problem. When our wives come to us and say they're struggling with something and they're, and they're trying to pray through something, it's not saying, well, that's just my wife's thing. No, 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 it's now our thing. And this is so important for us to understand. Sometimes we enter into marriage with this idea of like, we're independent, right? I have my world, you have your world. No, 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 no. The day you say I do, there is a oneness that happens. And if we're going through something or we're struggling, struggling through something, we are in this together. 
As husbands, our headship is rooted in service. Our headship is rooted in sacrifice. That is our responsibility and that is our calling. As husbands, our primary job is to surrender before Jesus first and then we serve and sacrifice for our families. The passage uh, finishes up like this, verse 32. This mystery is profound. It certainly is. If you uh, go to culture or you go to Google or you go to someone else and say, hey, what is the picture of marriage? This ain't it. This is not the picture that culture is painting on marriage. No, Jesus is painting something different. He's painting a new picture that husbands or wives are pictures of the church. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and his church. However, let each one love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Paul is now bringing into clarity for us that the center point for our marriages is Jesus. That our marriages represent a picture of Christ and his church and that love is displayed between each other. Which leads us to our big idea for the text today is that a centered marriage requires Christ-centered living. That in order for you and I to do this, in order for husbands to do this, in order for wives to do this, we have to have our lives centered on Jesus first. And if we're honest, this is where we get off track. When I look back at the 19 years Heather and I have been together, the days we've been fighting, the days we've struggled, the days that we've had uh, situations in our marriage, it has not been because we just haven't been communicating the right way. If you dig down, the source of that is one of us hasn't surrendered. One of us has allowed sin to enter into our marriage. One of us has been selfish. One of us has been prideful. One of us has let our humility go. And so this is what makes Christian marriages different. This is what makes Christian marriages thrive, that our number one job is to submit to Jesus first, and then we can do this with each other. But in order for us to do this, we have to be humble enough to do this. Because this is what it looks like. Heather, come here for a minute. For us to be able to do this in our marriages, it takes me as a husband first to say, I need to get down on my knees. And I need to to get down and say before me and Jesus, I'm laying down my sin and I'm laying down my selfishness. I'm laying down my pride. I'm laying down all the sin that I have and I'm surrendering to Jesus first. And, And then what it takes is Heather to do the same thing. And it takes Heather to get to a place of saying she's gonna lay down her selfishness and her pride and her wants and her desires before Jesus first. And then out of love and respect, we can do this marriage thing in oneness. But what ends up happening is, well, she can stay down here and I'm gonna be up here. And this is where the conflict starts. But as husbands and wives, we need to get down low and to surrender our lives to Jesus first and then we can do this oneness thing together. So here's my challenge. This was a high-level view of what marriage needs to look like for us. That if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, this is what marriage needs to look like. This needs to be our foundation. But if you need like, 
okay, now how do I live it out a little bit more? How do I live it out a little bit deeper? Here's what I wanna challenge you with. Um, this Saturday, we have a marriage workshop. It's six sessions, it's in the morning. Um, if you are married in the room, or even if you are like, we're about to get married, like we're dating, it's getting serious. I need greater clarity in how to live this out. Sign up for that. It's 10 bucks, it's nothing. There's breakfast, there's food. It's gonna be a bunch of couples. We're gonna have circle groups of how to live out this marriage thing. Get signed up for this Saturday. And if you are also someone saying, well, I don't think I'm ready for that, but my marriage is struggling. Maybe you need to do business with God and as you leave this room, you need to start saying, well, who's the center of my life? Have I made my spouse the center? Have I made my kids the center? Have I made my career the center? Have I made my wants, desire the center? Or has Jesus been the center? And maybe today, whether you're a husband or a wife, or you're a future husband or a wife, you need to do some refocusing this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you, you don't just leave us where we're at, but through your word, you give us a blueprint of how we're supposed to do this. So God, in this moment, I pray for marriages. God, I pray for marriages that are thriving. God, I thank you for that. God, those marriages are a picture of your church and your gospel. God, I pray for marriages that are on the ropes right now. I pray for burdened hearts, hearts that are heavy, hearts that are trying to figure out how to do this, God. God, I pray that your spirit would speak loudly into their life and you would start giving them direction on what marriage needs to look like and have you at the center of that situation. God, I pray for those that are dating, God. I pray that they would walk away with greater clarity on who they need to choose to date. Are they gonna choose a man that is worthy and has his life centered on Jesus? Or are they gonna choose someone who's not? And the same goes for spouses, God, or wives. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your holiness. And I thank you for your love. So Jesus, in your name, amen.